Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Catherine? I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good. I don't know. Did you read that article that came out this week? It made its way around the interwebs of how kind of like people are running out of patience. It's kind of at the all-time low irritability is creeping (laughs) up. (laughs) And I I felt that a little bit more this week. Like, I don't know. How how about you? Are you having any like little bit of... Yes. (laughs) I can relate to that a lot. I think um, patience is definitely growing thin. Um, I know we're not going to be returning to how it was, but I'm definitely kind of anxious to start returning to a little bit more of normal routines. So patience definitely is thin on this end for sure. Well, and you have like your children are with you and they're 20s, like 20 or? 22. Yeah. My twins are both with us. They're 22. And um, I mean, they're feeling the same way. You know, it's been, I'm, I'm grateful that I've gotten to spend this time with Mason and Sydney and even Tim, you know, for sure. But, um, the big picture is, is that I think we're all ready to kind of get back to our grown up adult lives in whatever form those look like, um, yeah. some sort of resemblance of that again. So, yeah, well, I don't know how people with children, no matter what age are doing it because this week my dog has been so needy and I've just been like, I'm taking you back to the pounds. <laughs> I would never do that. I love her so much. Oh, I know. I know. I'm just like my patience of her wanting in and out of the house for treats has been like taking me <laughs> to the, to the, <laughs> to the <edge>. limit <laughs> to the edge this week. Yes. And meanwhile, our dog is ready for us to go back to work. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had a great conversation today with someone all about how patience and persistence pays off. Yes. Really great interview. We wanted to go ahead and get this one out to y'all right away. And you're actually, as always, friends with this guest. So why don't you tell us a little bit about today's guest? Well, today um, we talked with Amity Rockwell. She's the um, current, the 2019 DK champion and would be coming to Kansas here in another few weeks to defend that if it wasn't for uh, COVID-19. So um, really really stoked to have Amity on the show. Um, and she speaks quite a bit about patience and perseverance. Yeah, it was a really fun interview and I really, it's a longer one. So we're keeping our intro short and at the, uh, kind of at the halfway point of the interview, Christy and I just, we thought we were going to kind of shut it down and she just started talking about some amazing stuff. So we went another 20 minutes or so just with this really great conversation about um, 
her experience as a woman in the sport and her desire to grow the sport for women and her invitation to everyone to reach out to her, all the women to mm -hmm. reach out to her and um, even to grow her, the number of people that follow her as a woman on social media. So um, anyway, I think it's well worth the patience of listening all the way through this one. I agree. All right, well, let's get on to our interview. Sounds good. I'm uh, so excited this week with our new Girls Gone Gravel podcast for this week. Um, Catherine's pushing me outside of my comfort zone and making me do the introduction. So, um, you know, without further ado, I really am excited to have Amity Rockwell with us today. Um, Amity is the, the current reigning 2019 Dirty Kansas champion um, and has become a a friend of mine through the gravel scene and excited to have her with us and learn more about Amity. So welcome to the show, Amity. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Amity, tell us, uh, tell us where you are and what's going on with life right now for you. Um, I am in Santa Barbara, California. I actually just moved here a month ago, um, which was, you know, kind of weird to be moving during all this, but it was planned out like months and months in advance. And so didn't really have a choice about that. Um, I'm, I grew up in the Bay Area. I'm from Oakland and spent the last few years in San Francisco. And then right before Dirty Kansas last year, I actually moved up to the mountains. So I kind of over the place. I've kind of been a little bit nomadic since this whole thing started because, you know, I like being in new places and in challenging terrain. Um, and it's an easy way to stay motivated, just, you know, <laughs> jumping around the state over here. But um, so I'm in Santa Barbara. And yeah, things are definitely different. I fully expected to have, you know, like four or five, maybe six or seven races under the belt at this point um, in this 2020 season. Um, and the only sort of race I actually got in this year was very early in February. I went out to Colorado for Old Man Winter, which <laughs> actually got cut like 10 miles in because of a snowstorm. So I'm not sure that even counts, but it was my first like attempt at a race this year. And I got, you know, turned around and, and went home. So, and then, yeah, and then, you know, all this madness set in and, you know, I've been, I've been laying low. Um, I, yeah, you know, I'm kind of mixing indoor training with outdoor training right now. Um, I've been leading a few Zwift rides and then heading out for like early morning road rides on my own. Um, but I guess, you know, obviously the most that's changed for me is that I'm not racing bikes um I'm kind of just waiting to race bikes and then in this weird kind of like training purgatory where like you know we're I'm not doing any intensity because I don't know when that intensity will be demanded of me and like starting it too early is risky but like not doing it at all is risky and so trying to just stay in this you know happy place of you know executing workouts by how I'm feeling every day and you know try not to I don't know. <laughs> it's it's weird to not, you know, try to like predict the future in some sense and like just kind of, you know, accepting the um the instability right now and making the best of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm curious what led you to move to Santa Barbara from Truckee. Um I would like to say it was completely my own decision because um, that's how I like to operate. But um, my boyfriend got a real adult job here um, and I followed him. But <laughs> just for the record, I would not have followed him if there weren't like really tall mountains and a lot of gravel here. It just happened to work out. <laughs> so you've been able to ride outside and train outside in California because I know there have been some pretty strict restrictions in places there. Yes, we are lucky enough to not have that, you know, be cracked down on yet. And that was kind of, you know, my approach initially to riding outside was like, well, we'll probably not eventually, like, we're probably, you know, entering a period of like this not being an option. And I know I'm going to go stir crazy. So I may as well, you know, like, get in the outdoor miles in a way that like feels as safe as possible right now, kind of in anticipation of this, you know, impending lockdown. Um, and I don't know, I think nobody really knows what the case is, you know, even like going into like next week, it's like, it's easy to, to like see kind of like places like New York kind of get over their hump or whatever, but then California is in this like, you know, good state of like having lockdown really early and kind of, you know, gotten more of a grip on things like none of the hospitals here, are, you know, overwhelmed yet. 
but then, you know, you can also like look at the other data and it's like LA County, I think like the cases there doubled last week. So it's like, I just have no idea and nobody seems to have any idea. And it's like, you can just kind of go out there and find the information that you want to hear. It almost seems like if you want to, you know, <laughs> if you want to like have the perspective of like, oh, everything's getting better and this will be over soon. There's plenty of like articles and media out there that will tell you that. And if you want to be like, we're all doomed, like this is the end of the human race, like you can go find those articles too. So it's like, it's so impossible to maintain this kind of like knowledgeable stance on it, which I struggle with because I'm one of those people who like is just constantly checking and constantly seeking new information and like wanting to be kind of like really up on these things. And that's kind of like why I made the decision not to go to Land Run this year and stuff like that is because like, I just, you know, rather err on like what seems like the like intelligent, like prudent side of things. Um, if, you know, if things are unknown, um, it's kind of my tendency to like play on the safe side. Um, but I am still riding outside. Um, I have decided to not um, go on any single track um, or kind of, you know, enter into any situations where like I can't follow like really good social distancing guidelines. Um, that's been kind of a bummer to see is that I see a lot of, you know, my friends and community members and like pe people I don't know, strangers and everything kind of taking this time to like overflow <laughs> outside areas. Um, and like, you know, they're crowding the trails and they're crowding, you know, public spaces and like they were crowding state parks before those were shut down. And I think like <laughs> that kind of gets to me because I'm like, no, it's not the time. Um, but so, you know, I've made a personal decision to not, you know, ride my mountain bike to not, you know, go places where there's a bunch of other people. So if I do go outside, it's like early in the morning or it's on roads where I'm like, nobody rides here. Um, and I feel very lucky to be able to, you know, have those options. I realize there's people, you know, in bigger cities and, you know, more population dense locations that like don't have that option. Um, so ultimately... <laughs> that's led to like my social media right now which is usually like a massive part of what I do um I've been fairly quiet just because I'm trying to not you know aggressively advertise a like my privilege and b like you know getting outside in a capacity that may or may not be safe for other people to do right now but it's, yeah it's a lot it's, it's a lot to think about so <laughs> yeah I mean and it's it's interesting because Amity when you when we were going around um about the mid-south Mm -hmm. um oh sorry me, i called it the wrong it name. was such a name. that's okay that's okay i i i keep too so um but but um it was interesting from looking back at that you know hindsight being what it is um mm -hmm. because you and i were texting about whether or not yes, you were going to come totally. and you know we're in the midwest the messaging we were getting was so different than what i was hearing from friends on the west coast Mm -hmm. and friends on the east coast and friends in italy and it just it was this really weird dynamic to watch that whole thing play out in this little microcosm i mean yeah. i completely respected your decision and debated over and over and over about whether or not to go down there um but um it was interesting to watch how you were going through it versus how we were going through it in the middle of the country for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's very different. And I honestly think the situation was different too. Um, for me, like my flights, mm -hmm. I was routed through Seattle on the way out to get there. And then I was routed through LAX on the way home. And that was a big factor in the decision for me too, was just having to travel through these major airports that had had a bunch of, you know, reported cases of the virus. And mm -hmm. I think I said, I said several times, like, you know, in that announcement, but like, you know, if I was like in Texas and could just like drive a couple hours north and be there, like I probably would have, you know, still gone and like, you know, done my best to, you know, keep people at a distance and still race my bike because I totally understand, you know, the alternative view, which was like, this might be the last race this year. Like I gotta, you know, do my sponsors justice. I gotta, you know, like do all my training justice. Like I get that. Um, I just, yeah, like, as I was saying, just coming from a place of like kind of being really in the dark about, you know, the actual situation, it's just kind of like, <laughs> I, I couldn't feel good about it. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. I think, unfortunately, we're all operating kind of in the dark 
about so many yeah. things right now uh, in life because none of us really know what's going to happen you know, mm-hmm. next. Um, I'm yeah. curious because I think this is something that a lot of us can relate to. So you had a really great year last year and you <laughs> picked up some good sponsorship and you were really set up for a strong 2020. And of mm-hmm. course, 2020, when you are a professional cyclist and then all the races <laughs> start going away, that really changes things. And I think people can relate to that, even if they're not a professional cyclist, right? Things they looked forward to mm-hmm. are being mm-hmm. canceled. They're having to readjust expectations. So how have you been dealing with that emotionally, kind of thought process, good or bad? Um, it's been kind of 50-50. Um, there's definitely days where I wake up and I'm like, I am so blessed to like be in this position of just being able to wait, you know, just to wait and see and like, you know, taking into account that like, you know, the industry might be weaker next year. People are going to have less money, like, you know, all these factors, but still being able to be like, well, at least most of my sponsors have kind of paid me already this year. (laughs) Not all of them, but like, you know, you, you forgive people in this like weird time and like, you know, I'm, I am coasting for a bit and just kind of waiting. And like, you know, I try to, you know, wake up and be like, well, we're going to salvage the season at some point. Like I'm working towards, you know, August, September right now. And like, that's kind of, you know, my focus is in like, this is when it begins. And I have no idea if that's when it begins. I have no idea for racing. Um, but you know, just keep trying to like, you know, keep that mentality alive, even just a little bit. Um, and then there's totally, there's totally days when I wake up and I'm like, we're so scared. <laughs> like, I'm not going to have a job next year because, you know, everything is going to be dead and all the momentum is going to be lost. And, you know, this sucks. But <laughs> I've been mostly, mostly airing on the, the better side of that. Um, because I just, I don't know, I think about, you know, like two years ago when I was, you know, working as a barista full time and just trying to like maintain this bike racing career on the side and like saving up all my tips for like, you know, a flight out to the Midwest and like, you know, and being in this situation where I was like, you know, contacting hundreds of people a day and like working for minimum wage and like, you know, stretching myself at both ends. It's like, if I were there now, I would like, you know, I don't even know what my, what my world would look like realistically. Um, and so I'm just trying to kind of, you know, maintain that gratitude and maintain this sense of like, well, this will end at some point, even if we don't know when it'll end, like it will end. And there's no reason why, like, you know, the racing at least can't come back in the same, you know, capacity that it was. Um, it's not like, like everything's just paused. It's not like, you know, there's people who do get to race right now and I'm missing out and they're getting ahead of me. It's like, everything's just kind of flatlined. So in a sense, I just like, you know, keep the faith that like when it begins, like I'm still, you know, hopefully going to be, you know, one of those top women in the scene and somebody that people, you know, want to look to for, I don't know, (laughs) optimism advice, you know, (laughs) general, general motivation. So yeah. um, I'm curious about your, I'm I'm curious about your your race story from 2019 DK from how from <laughs> you know, a snapshot from start to finish because you definitely were in my mind um, the little engine that could at at Dirty Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like it makes me think that like every race I've been in previously has maybe just not been long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Because if Dirty Kansas ended at mile 150, like, I would have been, like, maybe fourth or fifth, you know? Or mm-hmm. if it had ended at mile 100, like, I would probably not have been, like, in the on the podium. Maybe not in the top 10. Um, so I'm like, maybe I'm just, like, you know, approaching this the wrong way. Maybe I should be, you know, taking the Lale Wilcox route. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, um, it was definitely a story of persistence. Um, I always, I mean, you know better than anybody, but I think I was actually on Payson's podcast recently and he kind of, you know, approached me with the same question. It was like, I need the play-by-play, like, you know, Dirty Kansas 2019, like, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, there is no play-by-play to Kansas. Like, it is such this just, like, slow, mundane grind where, like, half the time my brain's, like, literally just, like, out in space, like, thinking about things that have nothing to do with, like, 
where I am or what I'm doing or like where I am in the race. And so it's just like the most like bizarre form of competition. And that's kind of why I've always been drawn to like, you know, ultra endurance sports. Like I was drawn to like, you know, distance trail running before this. And that was because like, you can like occupy those weird spaces during a race and like come back and like win. (laughs) Um, And that's really fun for me. And like, cause I'm never, I'm very competitive. Um, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know that, but like, I, I don't know. I enjoy all the other aspects too. And I feel like, you know, the longer a race is, the more, you know, space and opportunity there is for, you know, experience alongside competition. Um, that was kind of a tangent, but yeah, <laughs> um, Dirty Kansas 2019, um, was definitely about patience, um, patience and persistence and maintaining, I guess the whole time, this like hope that, you know, there was always that chance. Um, And that's, you know, what I tried to tell myself, whether I'm in like, you know, 20th place or like third place, it's like, well, you don't know if the 19 people in front of you are all going to have like devastating mechanicals and like lie down on the side of the road and like give you this clear path to the finish. Like you don't know, like nothing is certain. And I think, you know, that mentality is what helped me win. And also in a weird way, what's like helping me cope with this time right now, because it's like, it's just that like shred of hope that you like cling to for dear life. Um, and that's what gets you there. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it finally, it finally worked out. It finally came together and that felt so, so good. <laughs> I have a very related to that. Uh, I read that both of your parents were ultra endurance runners. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's so you, how they met. <laughs> you grew up, you grew up in a very, ultra household <laughs> and now I you, did. you are um as you said maybe you need to do the dk350 the xl oh, yeah. to start to figure out <laughs> the long distances for you but uh is there something like if you look back is there something you can say that mindset that kind of helps somebody get through ultra was instilled in me or do you see any things that maybe set you apart from growing up in that kind of household um i think i mean i think you know obviously it is like for me, I guess, overwhelmingly just mentality, um, in that, like, like ever since I can remember, it's like when we were bored, when we like needed to work through something, when we needed to like escape somewhere, like every single answer to that question was like, get outside. It was like, go do something. It wasn't like, you know, and I realized, you know, people can work through, you know, questionable situations in different ways and people are encouraged in different ways and like I've gotten very into like other outlets in my life too whether it be like art or cooking or baking or anything else but kind of you know growing up it was like if you have nothing to do like go for a run um and it was kind of just this like sense that like you know the outdoors was you know always there for us in a certain sense in a certain capacity in that like it was just something I don't know. It was just like this unquestionable, you know, part of life. Um, And I think that, you know, is kind of the core of everything for me in that, like, you know, people ask me all these questions about like motivation and like, you know, how do you ride so much? And like, you know, what, you know, inspires you to go race 200 miles. And it's never like, I never really question the core of it because the core of it is like, well, where else would I want to be? Or like, what else would I want to be doing? Like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Um, And I think kind of that has been, you know, the absolute key to it all, like both training wise, motivation wise, and, you know, just being, being good at it. I think when we're talking, you know, such distances, I think being good at it is not, I don't think we're honestly talking about, you know, genetics anymore. I think what my parents gave to me was not necessarily these like, genes for like going really long distances it was like this mindset of like well why can't I do that or like of course that's there for me or like this is the best thing ever and that's what makes me you know go out on training rides every day and it's what makes me ride you know 300 miles a week and it's like and it's that that makes me good it's the 300 miles a week it's not you know having these like you know giant legs or anything (laughs) like so and I think if everybody thought that way we'd honestly have a lot more people you know out there doing it yeah it sounds like too that you your parents helped you be comfortable just being in your own head which I think is a really hard for a lot of people like just like 
just go out and be with yourself mm-hmm. do that run, whatever it is, instead of like, go entertain yourself doing screen time <laughs> or whatever, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. I don't even, I don't even listen to music. I go on like 150 mile rides without headphones and people are like, you are, uh, you're special. Um, but it is, it's just like, I am so capable of entertaining myself. And I think that's, you know, that does just come back to, you know, how it was raised. Um, that being said, I do, you know, like anybody else get into these holes of like, you know, being on my phone all the, all the time or like, you know, being on Instagram or being on Twitter, or like constantly checking the news these days where it's like, I do kind of like, you know, not like an addiction, but I do kind of, you know, feel the like need to kind of be connected at all times. And I think really the only reasonable, reasonable like antidote I found to all that is like forcing myself to be alone with my own brain for, you know, hours at a time. Um, And I fully believe I'd like lose my sanity if I didn't have that. So I guess, you know, what seems insane to other people is what actually like keeps me, you know, mentally together. So it is. Um, and I think, you know, it, it can all be learned. It can all be unlearned. It's a very like fluid thing for me all the time where I'm like, you know, trying to perfect it and then like losing it and then <laughs> coming back into it. Um, I started, I guess about a month ago, maybe two months at this point when everything kind of fell apart. Um, I ditched my, my bike computer, um, which I probably shouldn't say my sponsors would not like me. <laughs> like me to say that but I like aside for a moment you didn't I know I took I paused and I just stopped recording rides like completely it's not even like I was like putting them on private or like I just stopped and I just go ride and when I like didn't want to ride anymore I'd turn around and I'd come home and it was like the most liberating thing and it kind of brought me very back to like the very early days of you know riding my bike or running where like I wasn't looking at any numbers um and I'm kind of like people, people know me for like not being super data obsessed. Um, and, but I, I like even shoot like mileage for a while and that felt really, really good to just kind of force myself to be like hyper aware of my surroundings instead of looking at a little, you know, screen and looking at, you know, the, the elevation feet like tick up and like feeling good about myself that way. It was like, no, we're going to like, you know, look at the road ahead. Um, and that was really helpful too. So I, I really kind of, you know, appreciate this, this strange time for, you know, reminding me kind of how positive, you know, that can be too. You, you mentioned some of your hobbies and yeah. some of my favorite Instagram posts are your pictures of bread and coffee. <laughs> I am so glad you like them. I, I like, I always wonder every time I like inundate people with those, I'm like, this is not why people follow me, but like, I, <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate them. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I will post more bread for Christy. But um, uh, yeah, you know, I guess, gosh, I really have like my mom to thank for everything. Because um, I'll kind of alongside, I guess, her ultra running career. Um, she was, she, she was vegetarian, like literally before anybody else, like in, I guess, like the mid 70s she at age 16 she just decided she's like i'm not eating meat anymore and kind of that you know cascaded into this you know very very healthy lifestyle all around for her um that you know started before she picked up running i think and then like as she got into long distance running was able to like really really see how diet you know impacted performance um and so i was raised on like homemade bread and like <laughs> way too many vegetables and like nothing from the store and like no processed sugars and all these like really extreme things that of course like you resent when you're a small child where you're like why can't I have a packet of gushers in my lunch like this is cruel um but you know like once you go through that and you like leave home and you like eat really shitty food for a year you like start to realize like oh you know there's a reason for this and you it kind of you know fosters this love for whole foods and for you know like the you know that just the the payoff and um yeah it 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 essentially ultimately you know generated this interest for me in I don't know cooking nice things and baking good bread and you know getting way too in depth with all that stuff so um yeah and it's, it's 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 a great diversion I mean obviously I'm kind of like hungry all the time with how much I ride and so it's kind of this like natural balance to like 
you know, exercising so much and like being outside all the time and then like being forced to like slow down and take these moments to like appreciate what really, you know, fuels you. Um, and so, yeah, it fascinates me. <laughs> do you uh, do like uh, homemade treats or what kind of nutrition do you do when you're riding for fuel? Um, I should make more of my own ride food. Um, that's kind of this like constant goal of mine. Um, I like dates a lot. I eat a lot of dates. Um, they're like really, really concentrated in sugar, um, and are just kind of like this natural, um, I don't know, I guess they're equivalent of like sucking up like an energy gel on the bike. Um, and they're super easy to digest. I love those. Um, I've been kind of like on and off with the whole rice cake thing. I think they're really good for long rides. Um, but I rarely you know, <laughs> planning far enough ahead to like have those stacked in the, in the fridge. So no, I mostly goo products. Um, but I try not to eat too much like concentrated, you know, sugar, like fast sugar, unless I'm racing. Um, it kind of, I feel like it in a weird way, it like helps me more when I'm racing. If I like don't eat it when I'm not racing, because it's like, okay, now I'm racing. And it helps you kind of like switch that mindset and it helps you like really like lock that in. Um, but yeah, I've eaten, I've definitely eaten some like weird things out there on the rides. Um, there was like this 170 miler I did in January where I literally put like a whole avocado in my fanny pack and like pulled over at mile like 120 and like peeled it and ate a whole avocado and I felt incredible. Um, so it yeah. squished though? <laughs> no, no, I was very careful. And did you like <laughs> peel it? Like, did you have a knife? Yeah, I, yeah, no, no, no. I just, I peeled it and I like took a bite of it, you know, until you like get down to the pit. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like the most, like I wouldn't have let anybody take a picture of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I felt fantastic. So <laughs> <laughs> I eat, I eat avocados. I try to eat an avocado before every race especially the long ones. I think those like really like powerful, all natural like fats are really good for mm -hmm. really long distances. Kind of similar to like that and like almond butter and like, you know, these like nutritionally dense items. Um, but yeah, a lot of, lot of like almond butter and jam sandwiches. Um, a lot of like mid-ride pastries if those are an option, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of triathletes coming over to, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I was a triathlete to gravel and we stop and I, they pull out a gel and I'm just like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is the place that you don't have to have the gels. It just makes me so sad because if I never have another gel again, I'll be perfectly happy. I know. Yeah. I also try to like, something that helps me in training is like, if I want to eat and I, and I have the opportunity to, I try to stop. Um, and that's, you know, important. I think if you already know how to eat while on the bike, I think when you're training, it's really nice to kind of like remind yourself, like, Hey, I'm not racing right now. Hey, I can like actually appreciate like what I'm putting into my body. And I feel like I get a lot more benefit from it that way. If I'm not like on the move, just like, you know, forcing calories down my throat, I'll just like wait for a nice view and I'll like, you know, unclip and take out my food and be like, this is nice. And then, you know, go on my way again. And that really kind of, you know, helps like put me in the right space of like, Hey, appreciate this. <laughs> I, I imagine you on this beautiful Vista with your avocado. I just pictured this like green all over your kit. I'm so going to see you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome that's awesome well we so appreciate you taking time to be with us today um and just chat about all things what life is like right now <laughs> um i love all the natural stuff um you do for training and um just focusing on good healthy foods i think that's something everybody can do right now uh, even though we all want to go to our comfort things but i think actually what makes our bodies feel better is like really good whole foods mm -hmm. in the middle of a really hard time. Is there uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you and um, find out more? about I you? am, I am not on Facebook. I am very much on Instagram. Um, <laughs> uh, my username is Amityville. It's just A M I T Y V I L. Um, and we'll which, link that as well. 
people always make horror movie references when my name is brought up. So that's kind of where that came from. But I, I like to think I rebranded it a little bit. Um, <laughs> and so they see with the green face from the avocado. <laughs> I mean, if the intimidation factor wants to stay, that's probably for the better. But um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, I am on Instagram. Um, and yeah, I actually, I don't know. I don't know if this was going to come up or not, but like, as part of this whole thing, I mean, I know you guys are like trying to reach just more women in the scene, um, whether it's on bikes or like, you know, doing other, you know, outdoors things or racing or not racing. Um, and that's kind of is honestly the constant struggle for me. Um, if I look at my Instagram demographics, it's 80% men and 20% women, which is, you know, never encouraging. Um, but it's kind of, it's the same across, you know, all my friends in the sport, you know, who look at their own, you know, information there. It's like 80% men, 20% women, and, you know, very similar ratios in, um, you know, just like race signups as well. Um, and I guess, you know, the constant struggle for me is just, you know, reaching the women who are out there. And I know that's a large part of the reason, like, you know, you guys have this podcast and you guys are like, you know, taking these initiatives. Um, and yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And I kind of, I feel like I'm, you know, already at this point in my career in which I'm just like racking my brain for like ways to like get them. Cause like, I know they're out there. Um, and I don't know, I guess I just want to, you know, throw it out there that like, I am a resource and I like, I love to be that resource. And there's nothing I enjoy more than like a woman showing up in my DMs and being like, answer this question for me or like how do I get started or like what do I eat on this ride or how do I train for this race or like what's your favorite you know way to do this or like piece of equipment it's just like I love that and I will talk to somebody for hours and I will type you like 10 paragraphs and it's just like I'm so there but it's like that opportunity comes up for me like maybe like three times a year or something where like you know a woman will like actually show up there and mostly it's just like those stupid like reactions from like largely men and I'm like how do I change this <laughs> this is not what I wanted um but yeah I guess you know I am hoping to you know do more on my part to like actually you know attract women to the sport um but as far as things are right now I just want to let it be known that like I am here um, and I want to help you. Maybe that's our, um, maybe that's our girls Fun travel challenge this week is let's get Amity's followers to 30% female. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah. So you can already see my wheels turning. Couldn't you, Christy? I'm like, <laughs> I text Christy like four ideas a day. Hey, we should do this. We should do this. We should. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I finally have time to, you know, think about all these things because this is typically the time of the year where it's like, I am very much focused on myself instead and my fitness and where I'm going and what races I'm doing and like who I have to be. Um, but now I'm kind of at home, like, well, what else can I do? Um, so yeah. Um, whatever, whatever people want, I'm here for. Um, I just, yeah. I just, if you are a woman and you're listening to this and you have gravel questions, please DM me. Um, <laughs> or if you I want a bread recipe, apparently. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I, I probably give out like equal parts bread advice and, uh, <laughs> and training advice. <laughs> Not an expert in either, but I am, I will try to help you. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Th thank you so much for bringing that up and for putting that out there. Um, I really love that. And yes, our goal is to really create a, a community of women that are chasing their adventures, whether they're something epic, like going on that 350 mile ride or just, you know, getting out of their comfort zone and doing their first ride. And so um, I think the more women realize we actually are a community and we want to help each other out, mm -hmm. the stronger that we'll all be. So yeah. Yep. So one thing I do see kind of, you know, encouraging in a sense from the industry is that I do see a little bit more concerted effort going towards just visibility, um, which I know would have helped me like years ago getting into it, just being like, oh, women do this? Like, that's cool. Um, because at least in running, like running's a lot more kind of egalitarian in terms of like, you know, who does it and who races and who, you know, participates in these kind of events. Um, 
And I never questioned that. I was never like, oh, is there a space for me here? But definitely, you know, getting started in bikes, it was like all I heard was like, oh, like professional women cyclists don't make money or like professional women cyclists, you know, that's just not a thing. There's not a women's tour de France. There's not this, you know, and it was always just this like super negative, like there's no space for you here. Like, good luck. You can do it, but like, good luck. (laughs) Um, And I think, um, I think it, you know, it's, it's the media's responsibility, but you know, it's also ours in a small sense of just like getting our names out there, getting our faces out there, kind of putting a foot down and being like, we exist. Um, talk about us. Um, because I think that's ultimately what is what like, you know, creates that next generation. Yeah. So, so true. I wonder if you had that conversation with your mom about what her experience was when she started running, what she mm-hmm. was say. Because running came a long way because brands started highlighting women and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, no. And I do know that when she got started, it was kind of like a very odd thing for a woman to be doing. And she, she didn't actually start running until I think she was like 28 or 29. Um, And she said that was because like, she didn't have pee in school. She had homemaking. (laughs) um, And she always had like giant calves her whole life, but nobody ever said, well, like maybe you should try, you know, distance sports or maybe you should go for a run. It was always like, no, you know, women don't run. Um, So I do think she went through or saw a very similar shift, you know, kind of in her, in her field as it happened. Um, But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. We could seriously do a whole other podcast on just this topic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'd have you back. <laughs> I'm here. I'm not doing anything. Right. Yeah, you're well, not doing anything. This would be like a fun. Okay. So here's an idea, Christy. We could do like try to get uh, several former Dirty Kansas Wimmer, Wimmers, <laughs> female winners, and have like a roundtable on where they see women in uh, sport and how to grow it. That would be a fun, I, you know, that, and it was, it's interesting when Amity brought that up because one of the things that is in a little platform document that I started was <laughs> really to encourage our women, um, winners, how you use dirty Kansas to grow your own career because that, you know, seeing that the men were doing it, but not necessarily the women. And I was like, you know, they have the same platform. They just have to capitalize on it. And we've been fortunate enough that really, you know, um, we've had enough female winners that have done that, that it hasn't really been needed. So, you know, it's encouraging from my perspective to see someone um, like Amity is a perfect example that can use the win there to raise the platform, not only for herself, but it raises the platform for all of us. And mm-hmm. that's important. It's important. It's a, it's actually a responsibility. That's, that's the way I look at it is like, if you win Dirty Kanza as a female, you sort of have a responsibility to take the rest of us with you at that point. <laughs> Raise that boat yeah. a little bit. No, that's it. Yeah. The next person. So. I do. Yeah. I, I almost entirely agree with you. The one thing I would like to kind of go back on there is that, like, I don't think we have the same platform. I don't think no. the men's and women's winners are presented with the equal opportunity in any sense. Um, I had to push, like, They're crazy. I, I like, I did a lot on my own. Like i got, you know, uh, initially you get a hit up by like a lot of media outlets and that, you know, is all really, really promising and really encouraging. Um, but the momentum itself, I feel like, you know, I've had to carry a large part of that on my own. And that's kind of, you know, while I'm witnessing all these opportunities just kind of, you know, fall into the hands of the men's winners, unfortunately. Um, and that's, and like, you're constantly questioning it. It's like, you know, a few months ago, like Velo News come, comes out with an edition and on the front is like Colin Strickland and it's like gravel hero. And it's like, I just don't like, that's not available to me. You know, I can lobby Velo News. I can be like, can you please put me on the cover? I can be like, you know, interview me now. But it's like, that doesn't fall into my lap um, in the same way. Right. Um, and that's not to say that he isn't putting in a ton of work. Anybody who knows Colin knows he like, he never stops working or like, you know, any of similar men but it's like it's not the same platform and I do think I have had to be you know a lot more aggressive in kind of you know yeah we just making sure all that you know yeah Yeah, it's like pushing that it has to be it's one of the reasons that I think these initiatives don't go away soon because we've talked about you know I've talked with Celine Yeager and I've talked I've talked with other women about 
how long do we have to keep doing these women's initiatives? And I'm like, I think it's going to be for a really long time because we yeah. have to work 10 times harder to get the same access. And people just don't, they don't think about it all the way through. And you, you see it, I see it every day. I feel I get tired of fighting. Get, even, even after Kansas, it was like, not to, you know, trash developers too much here, but it was like immediately after they put out an article and it was about the men's race. And then like two days later, there was kind of like this added them about like my, or like, no. And then like a few days later, there was like this like four page article about how, how the men's race played out. And then literally like weeks after that, they contacted me and they're like, well, this article about Colin did so well and received so much attention that we're thinking maybe we should do the same thing for the woman. And I was like, oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Whereas like, you know, other publications are totally, you know, just hyper aware of that. I hyper aware of like giving equal space or like even some others, like I think it's like CX magazine, which is like not even a gravel magazine, supposedly it's about cyclocross, but like even just like the tiniest things as to like in an article about Kansas, like they'll have the first sentence be like, Oh, the dirty Kansas, you know, 200 happened. Amity Rockwell won the women's race and Colin Strickland won the men's race. Even just like putting my name first. It's just like, thank you. It's like amazing. It's almost like, you know, I felt like those are two like equally important statements. Um, And it's just, it's just all those little things. And it's just, you know, being aware of it as a publication, as a writer, as a journalist, as anybody who's kind of involved in the whole, like, you know, storytelling side of the sport is just like, you know, don't talk about the whole men's race first and then be like, oh, by the way, everybody won the women's race because that was like the main thing I fought. And that's, you know, the main, you know, hurdle I have when I'm like approaching people and it's like, hey, like, I can't send, you know, I can't send you this article about this race because <laughs> I'm an afterthought in it. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I do like for everything that's done poorly, I see equal pushback for every like, you know, publication that like missteps once, like I see people, you know, all over their social media. I see people in the comments section being like, what happened in the women's race? You know, like when, when Mid-South did such like an intensive job of documenting like the front of the race this year and then kind of like forgot to mention any women for a while, like their social media was just like overwhelmed with people being like, what about women? <laughs> and it was like, I just like, Ugh, that's encouraging. And that's, you know, what makes it so easy to kind of like keep being super aggressive and keeping pushy is because it's like, yep. there is, you know, this like grassroots, like, you know, support there when we look for it. And that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's so important uh, not just for women that are competitive. I mean, it is, it comes down to your salary, but it also, um, I think I talk to a lot of women that don't ever sign up for events because they just kind of think they're not for them. And I think if you just see mm-hmm. like women out there doing it and talking about their experience, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. it changes, you know, things. Yeah. So I think it's, and awesome. that is, yeah, I think that does bring up kind of an important point for me too, is that I think, you know, as gravel gets, bigger and as gravel gets more and more serious like I do think event promoters really need to like come back and focus on the like experiential aspect of it because like that's what you know got me to sign up for my first grasshopper was people being like this is kind of a race but there's also totally not a race if you don't want it to be a race and that's what made me be like well sure then I'm in (laughs) like I didn't want to race my bike I wanted to ride my bike with a lot of like-minded people and experience a new place and like, you know, make some friends and like meet other people who like doing the same shit that I like doing. And it was like, that's what got me there. Um, and I think as these kind of become like the events that everybody's talking about, the events that, you know, arguably like, you know, make people like me, like known, I think like we really, really need to think about how to preserve that initial, like, this is ultimately just a bike ride kind of appeal. Um, or, you know, as these, you know, events catapult themselves into, you know, big deals, I think maybe we need some events that are literally just bike rides um, to, like, bring everybody together to, like, encourage people to ride with new people um, and see new places. Um, because that's what drew me to it. And that's honestly, like, what still gets me excited about races that, like, I feel like I have no chance of winning. So, <laughs> 
Yeah. I think once you do your first one, you're like, oh, there's just so many people that are here for fun. It's not about mm-hmm. winning. Then you're like, yeah, no, the actual experience is totally true to that. It's just a matter of like, how do we show this to people who aren't here yet? Um, Cause it's so cool. It's so cool. The first year I did Kansas it was dramatically different from the second year in that I was like way out there in the middle of it with like, you know, no idea what was happening in the front, but I met a lot of people and I had a really wonderful time. Um, and ultimately like finished being so excited to come back the next year. And that was not, you know, with the mindset of like, I'm going to come back and win next year. It was like, I just want to do this again. That was a great time. So. (laughs) Awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you for so much for bringing all this up. We could, we could literally (laughs) probably keep talking about this for another 45 minutes, but I'm going to, I like (laughs) this idea of this round table thing. I'll make this happen. Yeah. (laughs) um so we really appreciate your time today and we want everybody to come to go follow you on instagram it'll be linked in the show notes and send you messages (laughs) i swear this is out of benevolence and not out of wanting to hit like thirteen thousand followers (laughs) (laughs) i want to see get more women followers that's amazing that you only it's only 20 percent. so we got to work on every single personality i know in the sport it's 80 20 yeah. We have a, a big following of men with Girls Gone Gravel, which surprised me when I pulled the stats. So. Which is great. Like, I, I love when men, you know, know what's going on in the women's competitive side of things or like know the names of female racers. I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but yeah, if, um, if we could just kind of generate a similar level of excitement among women, that, that would make me feel like I had been, you know, marginally successful in all this. So. Yeah. Well, that is an awesome goal and we will help you do it. <laughs> so, thank you again for your time. I don't know what's going on over there with Christy. I think she's trying to crawl out the van window. <laughs> <laughs> we better stop recording, mother, and this could go south. <laughs> I know. All right. Thanks again, all. Thanks, Amity. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I miss you dearly, Gravel family, but hopefully we all get reunited soon. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com. Girls Gone Gravel.